Hello, and welcome to this DerivSource podcast, Living the Trade Life Cycle. I'm Julia Schieffer, the founder and editor of DerivSource.com. The focus for 2022 is very much on managing market risks, namely rising inflation, interest rates, and general market volatility, which of course is driven by various market factors. And these changing market conditions present a sort of balancing act between risk and reward. In this podcast today, we will be discussing that balancing act and specifically how banks analyze the financial risks that they take on specific customer demands and the role that derivatives plays here. To discuss this topic in detail, I have two experts with me from Derivative Path, Tom Lafredio, Head of Business Development, and Isaac Wheeler, Head of Balance Sheet Strategy. Welcome, Tom and Isaac. Great to be here. Yeah, thanks for having us, Julia. Now, before we get into the details of this topic, Tom and Isaac, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Tom, with you first. Sure, Julia, and thanks again for having us. So this is Tom Lafredio. I've got a 20-year career in capital markets and derivatives in particular, spanning the US, Asia, and Europe, and currently running the business development efforts at Derivative Path. Thanks, Tom. And, and it's Isaac Wheeler speaking now. I'm head of our balance sheet strategy group here at Derivative Path. And you know, excited to talk about this uh, topic a little bit more. Obviously, we help banks manage interest rate risk in a variety of ways. You know, At the customer level, when we talk about individual fixed rate loans, all the way up to macro level balance sheet hedging strategies. And so excited to dive into that a little bit more. Fantastic. Well, welcome both. Let's start with setting the scene, really, for our um, listeners. Can you both tell me a little bit about how current market conditions, as, as we've named market volatility and rising interest rates, are impacting your banking clients and how they do business specifically? Yeah, Julia, I, I think it would be helpful to rewind and set the stage a little bit in terms of just what we've experienced in the U.S. around interest rate moves. And most banks for 2022 would have started forecasting uh, in September or October of last year. And then back then, the two-year treasury was yielding around 25 basis points. And the 10-year treasury was around 1.5%. The market expected the Fed to begin raising rates sometime in 2022, but maybe only a handful of times. So fast forward to the end of 2021 or the beginning of this year, the two-year had risen about 50 basis points, but the 10-year was generally flat. And so from the perspective of banks offering commercial borrowers longer-term fixed rates, all was generally okay. Deposit costs were still ultra-low, and there really wasn't much volatility in 10-year in rates. Then, of course, as you intimated, from 2022, start of January, and then continuing throughout the first quarter, the Fed started signaling that they'd be more aggressive in raising rates, given how inflation had taken hold and, and even climbed. The war in Ukraine hit, and I think that put further pressure on inflation. So in anticipation of those Fed rate hikes, the two-year Treasury rose more than 150 basis points in just the matter of a couple of weeks. And it was really the largest such move that we'd seen in 20-plus years. So to say that we're in unprecedented times for many at banks is a definite reality. 
Thanks, Tom. And, you know, I would just add on to that and say, when we talk about how this market has impacted banks in particular, uh, I think it's easiest to start at the very micro level when we talk about individual fixed rate loans. And if you think about the last couple of years, really the last decade, we've kind of seen rates relentlessly march lower. And banks have really been conditioned that, you know, when a customer comes in and they ask for a fixed rate loan and, and maybe ask for the bank to hold that rate or lock that rate for some period of time up until loan funding, banks have been willing to do it. And they haven't really been, I would say, hurt by that practice. They haven't really had that move against them. But for the last few months, the breadth and the speed of the sell-off and the increase in market rates that we've seen, that has become a reality. And banks are much more reticent, I think, to deliver on those rate locks when customers come through and, and ask them for it. And, you know, I think we'll talk about it a little bit more here in a bit, but I think the way we've seen our clients approach it, especially those with a derivatives capability, is they start by quantifying the cost of those free options, those free rate locks that they might be giving away. And they try to think maybe as a next step about how they might offset those risks. So we'll talk about it a little bit more, but definitely interesting times. And it's become, I think, even more challenging to meet those client demands and meet those customer demands, especially as it pertains to fixed rate loans in particular. And Isaac, just to expand on that a little bit more, you've already kind of outlined a little bit of the challenges that your banks are facing. Can you tell me a little bit more about those challenges? Yeah, sure thing. I think it's easiest to start with that kind of initial example I described. Let's take a customer of the bank. They've banked with this particular depository for several decades, good customer, and they come in and they're concerned about rising rates. Um, they see the headlines and they want the certainty of a fixed rate and they want the certainty ahead of loan closing, ahead of loan funding. And for a particular bank that puts them in a position where they've got kind of the probability, but not the certainty of a loan funding in the future. They are going to lock a rate for a period of time. And like I alluded to earlier, in the past, that was a practice that didn't really hurt banks. But let's say I locked that rate at 4% in you know February of this year. Well, in 60 days, I would have seen my loan spread deteriorate by over 100 basis points over a very, very brief period of time. And you know, I think Banks want to be in the business of meeting that demand of providing that certainty. Um, but if they do it in a way where they're not quantifying that risk or where they're not offsetting it, it can really eat into a bank's margins, even if it's done in the spirit of trying to meet customer demand. Yeah, I think it's a really good point. And it's not just over, say, a 60-day period. It can be for a much shorter period of time as well. To give an example, earlier in May, in about a two and a half or three week time span, we saw an intraday move in the 10 year US Treasury that was at least nine basis points and upwards of 18 basis points per day. So, to quantify that, if you've got a portfolio of, say, $250 million in five year bonds or five year loans or five year commitments, the profitability could be swinging something like one to $2 million every day. So again, banks generally want stability in rates and volatility is certainly presenting a lot of these challenges. And focusing on the bank's experience a little bit more, Tom, what is the first step for a bank who recognizes that 
volatility is having this impact on operations and financials, what would you recommend their first step be? Yeah, it's a good question, Julia. Look, banks are organizations that have a long history of being able to measure and quantify various risks. And here, I think it's a matter of identifying some risks that perhaps haven't been quantified or defined previously. And it relates to, as Isaac said, these commercial borrowers who want long-term fixed rate loans because they're concerned about rates going up. And what is the practice that the bank has in place to assist their lenders and assist their borrowers to, to meet that demand? So really, I, I think the first step is just identifying that you might have a problem and it might not be a problem. The flip of every problem is an opportunity. And I think banks that can take advantage of those opportunities or see challenges as opportunities can be more successful on that front. Yeah, I would agree, Tom. And I think the first step to your point is is quantifying that risk, is understanding the value of these rate locks that a bank or depository might be giving away for free. And then maybe that next step is offsetting it to a degree. And so it doesn't mean that the bank is going to go out and buy swaptions or buy caps to offset the risk associated with a particular rate lock. It might mean that they balance the risk elsewhere in their portfolio. It might be looking to the wholesale funding book and paying fixed against that. It might be hedging the bond book with option strategies or, or other hedging instruments. Because I think what the bank wants ultimately is to put themselves in a position where they can meet this type of customer demand. That's what they're in the business of doing, of maintaining strong relationships, of helping provide certainty when their customers most want it. And so I think from our perspective, we look at things, we try to look at things holistically and it might mean executing hedges against other parts of the balance sheet. So within, when these requests come along, a bank can say yes and know that they're covered and protected from an industry risk perspective. And I think we've seen that too. We put together a commentary every quarter on what banks report either in earnings or on earnings calls related to their hedging strategies. And for the first time in a long time, in the first quarter, we really saw banks take advantage of market conditions depending on the risks that they had. And so I think it gets to where are the risks and what part of the yield curve is there an issue? Is it a problem if the 10-year hits 4% or 5%? Or is it an issue if the Fed doesn't deliver on this aggressive pace of tightening that they've so far forecasted? So before we get into the specifics of how banks can really manage this balancing act of, of the new risks of these market conditions, as you, as you both outlined, what are the other steps that a bank really needs to do before they start this management process actively? Well, Tom alluded to it earlier, but I think banks already do a very good job of quantifying their overall interest rate risk profile, be it from an earnings perspective or capital perspective. And I think that's something we see all of our clients do exceptionally well today. I think the type of hidden risk we've talked a lot about today maybe comes from the lending side of the business. So if it's delivering rate locks to customers without quantifying the value of those options, maybe it's offering stale fixed rates. To Tom's point earlier, we see the market moving day in and day out. 
And if you have kind of lending rates that you're refreshing on a weekly or, or at a less frequent basis, you're going to expose yourself from a market risk perspective and might be giving away you know, loans at, at non-competitive or overly competitive rates for that matter. And so I think the first step is having the discipline internally to quantify the value of the options you're giving away to your customers, put the bank in a position um, to make the right decision, understand the value of those risks and the value of those options, and perhaps offsetting them is the next step, right? So I'd say step one, quantifying it. Step two, perhaps looking at hedging structures where you might be able to mitigate that risk and meet that customer demand, as I was alluding to earlier. And look, I think you know we made this point, but I'll reiterate it. It doesn't mean that the bank doesn't make these loans. I think this is actually the type of business that the bank wants to be in. They want to be in a position to meet this type of customer demand. That's how you build strong relationships. But again, I just go back to, you know, at least the step one needs to be quantifying and understanding the risk before you offer those types of options or, or fixed rates that might be stale. So Isaac, you've talked a little bit about how firms can be better informed to make business decisions. Going a step further, what are the various tools that you would recommend a bank could use or could consider to better mitigate the risks that they're taking on in, in these various deals? Yeah, sure thing. So well, obviously our area of focus is interest rate derivatives, and it's a tool we see used by a wide range of community and regional banks and an increasing percentage, I think, with each passing year. You know, at the micro level, I think we see banks implement hedging strategies on individual loans, and that could be through a commercial swap offering where a nice tangential benefit is is fee income, or it's maybe in the background with a fixed rate loan hedging program where a bank's treasury team is individually swapping fixed rate loans back to floating. And at the other end of the spectrum, we see strategies where a bank is implementing large balance sheet hedging program to mitigate risk in the bond portfolio, to create synthetic fixed rate funding by combining swaps with wholesale funding we see out there in the market. There's a lot of tools available to use. But again, that first step is quantifying rate risk, understanding kind of maybe some hidden risks that you may not have thought about previously. And then it's about mapping it to, okay, what's the easiest way to attack this? Is it hedging individual loans or is it maybe doing something a little bit larger and macro by hedging a larger chunk of interest rate risk at a certain point in time? Yeah. And the good news too for banks is that the accounting rules are actually making it easier to hedge risks on a portfolio basis. So the Financial Accounting Standards Board or FASB in the US recently released an update of hedge accounting guidance. And we put together a brief overview of this for banks, but basically it allows banks to dynamically hedge a closed pool of assets with multiple hedges. It's been taken to being called the portfolio layer method. And it's really a huge improvement over the previous guidance from about five years ago that limited banks' flexibility in terms of what they hedged and how they hedged it. So it's a pretty interesting time from the standpoint of market volatility is causing a lot of banks to consider what tools they have in their toolkit. And at the same time, the accounting is becoming a little bit more friendly for how banks would typically think about hedging these types of risks. Thank you, Isaac and Tom. And and Tom, we'll include a link to that paper that you just mentioned in our show notes page for anyone who wants to read more on the uh, accounting changes. So thank you for sharing that. We've really kind of talked about the risks in the market. We've talked about the approaches. 
and the steps that firms need to take to really make informed business decisions based on these changing risks. I always like to have some kind of um, spotlight on the opportunities. So Tom, maybe sticking with you, what are the advantages or opportunities that a bank really could see by following this process that you both have outlined? I think in general, you want to have as many tools in the toolkit as possible. And so one, you want to have an operational framework to follow with respect to identifying, quantifying, and then coming up with solutions to, to mitigate the risk. But one of those solutions might be on the derivatives front, so entering into hedges. And while standard tools may have worked for the bank 80% of the time and may have served banks really well over the years, they might not always work when you need them most or in times like we find ourselves in today where volatility is, is quite high. So I'll just share a quick personal anecdote. Uh, we've got a front door. It has an extra locking mechanism and basically a bolt drops into a slot to prevent the door from opening for security purposes. Something happened this weekend and the latch broke and we couldn't open the door. So kind of a problem. I went and got some tools, screwdriver, hammer, pliers, worked on the door for a while, realized that the tools I had just didn't work. And really, I, I needed a different tool. And this is kind of a big deal. Our front door literally didn't open. Uh, so we couldn't get in or we couldn't get out. Back to banking, in normal times, the tools that you have are going to work 80% of the time. And the tools that I had, the screwdriver, the hammer, the pliers, they worked for 80% of the jobs around the house. But in this case, they, they didn't work. And it happened to be in a situation where really needed the tool or a tool that did work. And so here we are in a new environment. And again, maybe the tools that you typically have in the, the toolkit work 80 to 90% of the time, but maybe now they're only working 60 to 70% of the time. And so what that means is four out of the 10 guests that you want to invite in the front door to bank with you, maybe they can't get in because you don't have the right tools. So I definitely think it's a competitive advantage for banks to be as well-equipped as possible. And it goes beyond having the tools, though. I think you also need the expertise so that you can use those tools as effectively as possible. Thanks, Tom. And you know, just to put it in the context of the market, I would say that it's been you know, 20 years since we've seen the short end of the curve move this much in such a brief period of time. And the banks that we've seen, our bank clients that have had success and the banks that have been willing to take on additional rate risk for their customers and meet that demand, prepared for it in 2020 and 2021 when it was extremely cost-effective to hedge. And they didn't necessarily have you know kind of their front door being broken down with loan demand and all these customers looking for rate certainty. And so I think now is the time for banks that maybe haven't hedged previously to develop the capability, even if they look out at the market and they say, look, I think you know this is overdone or I think the rates are heading lower. You want to be in a position so that you know, whatever's around the corner, whether it's higher rates or lower rates, you can use derivatives to help manage your risk on the balance sheet so you can meet this type of customer demand ultimately. I really like the analogy of the door. I think that really showcases what we're trying to get at here. And thank you, Isaac, for jumping in with those comments as well. 
My question would be, you know, is a screen door a better fix there, given that firms really need to follow the process and steps that you mentioned before in terms of quantifying the risk, but also, you know, maybe not spending so much time fixing one lock. They could add that screen door in future. Don't know if that applies to your analogy, Tom, but just wanted to throw that out there. My final question to both of you is for our listeners out there, what's the one takeaway that you would give to them? in terms of how they do manage all these risks, all these scenarios that we've outlined today. We are in unprecedented times. What, what's the one kind of piece of advice that you would leave with them? Yeah, I think for me, it's the point we've made a lot here during these last few minutes that banks can manage these types of risks holistically and you know, ultimately make it a lot easier to deliver on and, and take great risks where they want to, right? And the best time to do it is before the market moves. So I think there are a lot of benefits to being proactive. And so even as we sit here today, it's worthwhile and, and worth the time of depositories to develop a derivatives capability, do the education, and get this type of hedging capability in place so you can be prepared for whatever the market brings us as we head into uh, the rest of 2022 and, and the years ahead. Thank you, Isaac. And Tom, what last point of advice or key takeaway would you like our audience to go away with? Yeah, Julia. First, let me say, I do think that the screen door analogy is a good one. I'd say that banks don't need to holistically change what they're doing, but maybe by adding a tool or in the analogy to extend it, adding a screen door, you're creating a more welcoming environment for borrowers to work with you. You want those borrowers to come in and if they want long-term fixed rates, well, that's what you should be able to offer. But it's a matter of having the right tools so that you can manage the risks for whatever it is that your lenders are, are bringing in. And to me, that's probably the, the last takeaway I, I'd offer, which is banks don't have to do this alone. A lot of banks will have some in-house expertise, but a lot of banks won't. And there are plenty of firms out there, derivative path being one, that can help those banks identify the risks quantify them, and then come up with solutions to implement them. And at the end of the day, that's really what banks are in the business of doing, which is servicing their customers and then managing the risks that come in the door. Just to sum up kind of what I have really taken away from this conversation today, other than the fact that we're really great with analogies here, is that Firms need to be proactive because we're in these unprecedented times. But to Isaac's point, you know, you really need to be managing your rate risk ahead of these increases in rates. I want to thank both Tom and Isaac from Derivative Path for sharing your expertise and insight with us today. Julia, it was great to be here. Thank you. Much appreciated, Julia. Thank you for having us. And for the listeners out there, we've mentioned a couple different links or uh, papers that we will include in the DerivSource show notes page. So please go to uh, DerivSource.com for more information there if you want further reading. Otherwise, thank you for joining us and see you next time. <music>